0: Let's open our Bibles together at this time, too. The book of Acts, chapter 13, and verse 26. Acts 13:26 for our message from God's Word this morning. If you're using the church Bible, you'll find Acts 1326. Located on page 1167. Today's date, if you're listening years from now to our recording or watching our video, is September 18th, 2022. Today's text will be in Acts 13.26 right on down through verse 39. And the title of this morning's message is Things Didn't Go As Planned. (laughs) Things Didn't Go As Planned. And we begin with the story of a woman who asked her doctor For a new diet plan one day. And he said, All right, I want you to try eating regularly for two days, then skip a day and keep doing that. And if you do, you will lose five pounds in two weeks. Well, two weeks later, she came back to see the doctor, and she had lost 25 pounds. The doctor said, that's that's amazing, to, to follow my plan. And she said, I did, but it wasn't easy. I thought I was going to die that third day, and... The doctor said, You mean from hunger? And she said, No, from all that skipping. <laughs> he told her to skip a day. And so, <clears throat> well, I'm sure that that woman was glad that she lost all that weight. Even though things didn't go like the doctor had planned. And here in Acts chapter 13, we have some Gentiles who were glad that the gospel was finally being preached to them, even though things hadn't gone as God had planned. The Apostle Paul is preaching in a synagogue here where, of course, the congregation was mostly Jews. But there must have been some Gentiles there too. Because in verse 26, the Apostle Paul said to them, Men and brethren, (coughs) excuse me, children of the stock of Abraham, you Jews in other words, and whosoever among you feareth God, to you is the word of this salvation sent. Now, if you know your Bible, you know that something new was happening here. Because throughout Most of the Old Testament, the word of God's salvation had only been sent to the Jews. And listen, that didn't change when we get to the New Testament. As you see when Peter said, in your first reference in Acts 3.12, Ye men of Israel, unto you God having raised up his son Jesus sent him to bless you in turning away every one of you from his iniquities so even in the new testament the word of God's salvation was going to the Jews but We know that God had a plan to send salvation to the Gentiles because of a word that I left out there in Acts 3.12, a word that I replaced when I quoted it again in your next reference. Peter said, ye men of Israel, Unto you first, God, having raised up his son Jesus, sent him to bless you. Hey folks, that word first there means that God did have a plan to send salvation to the Gentiles. He just planned to send it to the Jews first and then use them to save the Gentiles. It's the plan that the prophet Isaiah predicted when he said in your next reference in Isaiah 60 verses 1 to 3, and this is God talking to the Jews, and he says, Arise, shine, for thy light is come. And the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. He's talking about the coming of Christ someday. Darkness shall cover the earth. But the Lord shall arise upon thee, Israel. And the Gentiles shall come to the brightness of thy rising. The Jews were supposed to rise to the occasion by receiving the Lord Jesus when he came and offered them salvation. And then the Gentiles were supposed to be drawn to the brightness of the rising of the salvation of the entire nation Israel. That was God's plan to save the Gentiles. But as you know, things didn't go as God planned. The Jews didn't rise to the occasion. Instead, they fell when they crucified the Lord and then stoned his prophet Stephen. And it looked like salvation would never get to the Gentiles But that is when God revealed his secret plan to send the word of his salvation directly to the Gentiles in spite of Israel instead of through Israel through the Apostle Paul. It was a secret plan that Paul calls the mystery in your next reference in Romans eleven, eleven, where he says, Through Israel's fall, salvation is come to the Gentiles. Not through her rise like Isaiah predicted. And then a few verses later, he said, I want you to know about this. I, I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery. So, just like that woman lost weight, even though things didn't go as the doctor planned, the Gentiles were sent salvation, even though things didn't go as God had planned. But as Paul preached to these Gentiles who were also in the synagogue that day, or in the wings anyway, Paul also wanted the Jews in the synagogue to get saved that day. And let me tell you, he figured out a brilliant way to get them to at least consider receiving Christ without feeling guilty that it was Jews who had rejected Christ and crucified him. Look what Paul says back in your Bible now in the next Two verses, verses 27 and 28. For, verse 26 ends, To you is the word of this salvation sent, For they that dwell at Jerusalem and their rulers, because they knew him not, nor yet the voices of the prophets which are read every Sabbath day, they have fulfilled them in condemning him. And though they found no cause of death in him, yet desired they, Pilate, that he should be slain. Now did not you notice all the they's in those two verses? <laughs> Let me tell you, that is not, the same pronoun that Peter used when he was preaching in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. Look at Acts 2.22. Peter said, You men of Israel, Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, him ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified. Ye denied him in the presence of Pilate. Ye denied the Holy One and the just, and desired a murderer to be granted unto you. Do you see the difference in the pronouns there? Peter told those Jews in Jerusalem, you killed your Messiah. Paul is telling these Jews in Antioch, it wasn't you who killed your Messiah. It was those bozo rulers of yours. And then he, went, he it was his way of saying, why should you guys go to hell just because those big shots in Jerusalem didn't listen to our prophets? Our prophets predicted that our Messiah would come healing people, and riding into don- into Jerusalem on a donkey. Our rulers just didn't listen to the voice of the prophets. Now, let me ask you, can you see how that would make these Jews in Antioch a little more open to receiving Christ and getting saved? And, by the way, the way that Paul presented Christ to those Jews is the way Christ should be presented to Jews today. Don't go around saying, you know, you Jews killed him, but he'll save you if you want him to. Say, those Jews 2,000 years ago killed him, but he'll save you if you want him to. And then, be sure to add what Peter prayed in verse 27 of Acts 24. Peter prayed and said to God, Against thy holy child Jesus, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, were gathered together. Folks, my first pastor used to say, the only thing in human history that Jews and Gentiles ever got together to do was kill the Son of God. (laughs) How's that for an indictment of the human race? But now, I want you to compare what Peter said To how Martin Luther used to go around calling Jews Christ killers. Did you ever read about that? That didn't make the Jews very open to the gospel. And I have seen. Atheist websites that talk about Luther and say that Christianity is anti-Semitic because of one of the founders of Christianity and what he taught. So don't fall into that trap, folks. Show Jews that Gentiles were just as guilty of the crucifixion of Christ as Jews are. And that's what God's word says but now in verse 27 don't get confused when it says that those Jews fulfilled scripture when they condemned the Lord that makes it sound like they didn't have a choice that they had to condemn him because God predicted that they would condemn him but listen Just because God knew they would condemn him doesn't mean they didn't have a choice. If they would have accepted their Messiah, God would have known that that's what they were going to do, and his prophets would have predicted that instead. I mean, if you want to talk about things not going as God planned, God's plan was for the Jews to receive their Messiah and sacrifice Him on the altar to pay for their sins instead of all those animals they usually sacrificed on their altar to pay for their sins. At least that's what God told them to do in your next reference in Psalm 118, verse 26. Blessed be he that cometh in the name of the Lord talking about Christ, bind the sacrifice with cords even to the horns of the altar. Now listen, that was God's plan. It was a plan they were supposed to execute the day the Lord rode that donkey into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, and people said what they said in Matthew 21.9. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. They were quoting Psalm 118 there. That shows that at least a few of those Jews in Jerusalem that day knew that they should receive him, tie him to the horns of the altar there, and sacrifice him on the altar for their sins. That was God's plan, folks. But either way he died. God's plan included more than just him dying for our sins. It included God raising him from the dead, like Paul goes on to say here in Acts 13 in verse 29. Verse 29 says, And when those Jews in Jerusalem had fulfilled all that was written of him, They took him down from the tree, laid him in a sepulcher, but God raised him from the dead. And then he was seen many days of them which came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. Talking about the twelve apostles. And he said, they are his witnesses unto the people. And then Paul says, we declare unto you Jews in Antioch glad tidings, good news, gospel. How that the promise which was made to the fathers, God has fulfilled the same unto us their children. What promise? The promise in that he has raised up Jesus again from the dead. As it is also written in the second Psalm, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. God promised to raise Christ from the dead, and he delivered on that promise. But don't get confused at the end of verse 33 there when it says that God raised Christ from the dead As it is written in the second psalm, where God says to his son, This day have I begotten thee. Uh, As you probably know, that word begotten or begat, that word usually refers to a man fathering a son, not to a man raising a son from the dead. You see that in your next reference in Genesis 5 and verse 4. The days of Adam, after he had begotten Seth for 800 years, and he begat other sons and daughters. But when a man fathers a son, he gives him life. And when God raised Christ from the dead, he gave him a new life. That's why it says in Revelation 1.5, it talks about Jesus Christ, who is the first begotten of the dead. Now listen, Christ wasn't the first to rise from the dead in the Bible. You know that. I mean, the Lord himself raised three people from the dead. But he was the first to rise with new life, resurrection life, never-ending life. All those people the Lord raised from the dead, they they just got their old lives back again. Lazarus and the rest of them, and they died again. But what does Paul say about Christ in Romans 6, 9? Christ being raised from the dead, dieth no more. Death has no more dominion over him. Christ was the first to rise with that kind of life. But why would God have to say to his son on the day that he raised him from the dead, Thou art my son. I mean, when you rise from the dead, you don't rise with amnesia to where somebody's got to tell you who you are. So why did God have to tell His Son, Thou art my Son, on the day He raised Him from the dead? Well, the answer is, the day of the Lord's resurrection, folks, was the day of His bar mitzvah. I don't know what modern Jewish fathers say to their sons on the day of their bar mitzvah these days. But that is what they are supposed to say according to the scriptures. Thou art my son. Because a bar mitzvah is the day that a father recognizes that his boy has become an adult son. And he's ready to enter into the, the family business of whatever the father is engaged in. It's usually observed when the boy is around 12 years old. And we know that the father, the earthly father of the Lord Jesus observed bar mitzvah because it says in Luke 2, 42, when the was 12 years old, they went to Jerusalem, and Joseph and his mother found him in the temple later, sitting in the midst of the doctors, both hearing them and asking them questions. And he said unto them, "Wist ye not that I must be about my father's business?' Now, he wasn't saying that he didn't want to go into Joseph's uh, family business of carpentry. That's why they brought him to the temple that day. This is the only story we have about his childhood, and that's because it concerns his bar mitzvah. We know the Lord did go into Joseph's family business of carpentry, right? Because after he did some miracles, what did people say in Mark 6 verse 3? They couldn't believe it. They said, is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the the brother of James? So he did go into the carpentry business. But on the occasion of the Lord's bar mitzvah into Joseph's family business... He reminded mom and dad that he had another family business that he he needed to learn how to grow into someday with his other father, God the Father Almighty. And listen, that bar mitzvah day came the day he rose from the dead. And God said to him, thou art my son, just like Joseph said to him. And we don't have to guess what business his other father was in because he tells us in John chapter 5. John 5.17, Jesus answered, My father worketh hitherto, and now I work. The son can do nothing of himself, but what he seeth the father do. For what thing soever he doeth These also doeth the son likewise. He went into the family business. For the father showeth him all things that himself doeth. Just like Joseph showed the Lord all the things he did as a carpenter. And then the passage goes on to say, For as the father raiseth up the dead and quickeneth them, even so the son quickeneth whom He will. The Lord's Father was in the quickening business. That's the kind of work his Father did hitherto, and that's the kind of work the Lord was going into on the day he rose from the dead. And you know what? At the rapture, if we're still alive to see it, our dead loved ones who trusted Christ are going to be his first projects, (laughs) his first works of art, because they're going to be the first people to rise from the dead with resurrection life. But now, the day that God raised Christ from the dead, he said something else to his Son. Something here in Acts 13 that Paul goes on to say in verse 34. And as concerning that he raised him up from the dead, now no more to return to corruption, he said on this wise, I will give you, son, the sure mercies of David. So what are the sure mercies of David? David. Well, that's talking about something in Psalm 16 that David starts to talk about in your next reference in Psalm 16, verses 6 and 7. David said, the lines are fallen unto me in pleasant places, yea, I have a goodly heritage, I will bless the Lord. (laughs) Now, you read that and you get the idea that David was thinking those thoughts as he was sitting on his throne in Israel, looking around at his vast kingdom and thinking, yeah, I got it pretty good. (laughs) I got such a pleasant life I feel like blessing the Lord. But, as we read on in that psalm, we see he wasn't sitting on his throne when he was thinking those thoughts. He was sitting someplace a whole lot less pleasant. In Psalm 16, verses 9 and 10, he says, My heart is glad in hell. David was sitting in hell when he was thinking those thoughts. You see, he was a prophet. And he was predicting what he'd be thinking when he died and went to hell. But, what did we learn about hell in our scripture reading this morning in Luke 16? In those days, hell had two compartments. A torment side where the rich man went. And a comfort side where Lazarus went with a great gulf in between them. And David went to the comfort side when he died. And that side was a whole lot more pleasant than the flaming fiery side on the other side, right? But it really wasn't much of a goodly heritage. I mean sure his soul was comforted, but his body was in the grave. and he was imprisoned in in hell, which was in the heart of the earth at that time. So what exactly was David finding so good and pleasant? <laughs> Well, let's read on and see what else David said in Psalm uh, 19, verses 6 and 10. My heart is glad, my flesh shall rest in hope. And then he prays, for thou wilt not leave my soul in hell. Neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Well, now we see what he found so pleasant. It was the thought that God wasn't going to leave his soul in hell or allow his body to corrupt in the grave. Now, We know when corruption starts to to set in on a body because of what happened to uh, when the Lord went to raise Lazarus from the dead in John 11, 38 and 39. Jesus cometh to the grave and the grave was a cave and a stone lay upon it. And Jesus said, Take away the stone. I'm going to raise this guy from the dead. Martha said to him, Lord, by this time he stinketh. Why? For he has been dead four days. According to that, a body starts to corrupt on the fourth day. So David was comforting himself with the thought that God was only going to leave him in hell for three days before raising him from the dead so that his body wouldn't start corrupting. But can you see a problem with that plan? (laughs) If you can't, Peter pointed it out when he quoted Psalm 16 in Acts 2. David speaketh in verse 25, Thou wilt not suffer thine holy one to see corruption. But David is both dead and buried, and his sepulcher is with us to this day. Peter pointed out, Hey, David's sepulcher is over there, and it's still got the rock on the door. So obviously... David didn't rise from the dead after three days, did he? But then Peter went on to explain that David wasn't talking about himself, folks. Look at Acts 2 30 and 31. He said, Therefore, being a prophet, he seen this before. Speak of the resurrection of Christ, not his own resurrection. That his soul was not left in hell. Neither his flesh did see corruption. Did the Lord raise from the dead on the third day? Nod your head up and down in that way I like to see. Yeah. And folks, that's what Paul means in verse 34 here when he quotes God as saying to Christ, I will give you the sure mercies of David. And that's why Paul goes on to quote. The same psalm that Peter quoted in verse 35 here in your Bible. Wherefore he saith also in that psalm, another psalm, Thou shalt not suffer thine holy one to see corruption. For David, after he served his own generation by the will of God, fell on asleep and was laid unto his fathers, and his body saw corruption. But he whom God raised again, Jesus Christ, saw no corruption. And then Paul gets to our two final verses. The point of his message. And he says to those Jews and Gentiles in the synagogue in Antioch. Be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, That through this man, this Jesus Christ man, is preached to you the forgiveness of sins. And by him, all that believe are justified from all things from which you couldn't be justified by the law of Moses. And you know what law he's talking about. He's talking about the law of the Ten Commandments. You can't be forgiven and justified by that law, folks, because of what James says in your last reference. For whosoever shall keep the whole law of Moses and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. And you know he's talking about the law of the Ten Commandments because he starts quoting them. For he that said, don't commit adultery, said also, do not kill. Now, if thou commit no adultery, yet if thou kill, thou art become a transgressor of the law. I want you to think of the law of Moses, folks, the Ten Commandments, as a ten-link chain. And you're hanging on to that chain, dangling over the pit of hell. How many of those links have to break before you're toast? Just one! And if you're honest, you have to admit you've broken way more than one of the Ten Commandments. But the Lord Jesus Christ never broke any of them. And then He died a sacrificial death on your behalf. And all He asked is that you believe that He died for you. And you can be How does Paul put it? Justified from all things from which you could not be justified by trying to keep the Ten Commandments. And by the way, if you've already believed and been justified, whatever hell you're going through in life, you can learn to look at your life as a goodly heritage like David did if you just remember that God is not going to leave you in that hellish life forever at the rapture all of your health problems all your money problems are going to be gone with the wind and if you're not satisfied with that folks Well, frankly, you can go to some other church and some prosperity preacher will tell you. He'll be happy to tell you that all your problems will disappear if you're just a good enough Christian or if you just give me enough money. (laughs) But you know that all that does is make sure he drives a Mercedes while you drive... A rolls can hardly remember what a rolls can hardly is. It rolls down one hill, can hardly make it up the next. Yeah, I remember back when I was a painting contractor. I was washing walls in Dalton in a ho- in a house with my wall washing contraption. And when I talk to people about my wall washing machine, they think. What is it, a machine? You put it in the middle of the room, turn it on, and it cleans it. No, no, no. You, it, it pumps water. you still got to get up there and rub. The, and I was sweating away. And the customer that day was amazed to find out that I was a pastor. Because the pastor who lived next door to him drove a new Mercedes, and I was up there sweating, rubbing his walls. Well, folks, I hope that instead of going to some church where the pastor will lie to you, I hope that you'll be satisfied with knowing you're justified from all things. And that you'll learn to look at your life and say with David, the lines are fallen unto me in pleasant places. And I have a goodly heritage and I will bless the Lord. Amen? Amen? Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and all that it paid for us and for the bright hope of an eternity with thee, reigning with thee, with Christ over the angels, in never-ending ages that flow. We thank you for it in the name of that matchless Savior of ours, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.